Hey, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seem Lund and today we do another Instagram Q&A. If you want to ask me a question, then follow me on Instagram at Seem Lund and I'll do those Q&As regularly there. Do it. All right, first question. Start the day with carbs. Yes or no? So uh, I personally think that uh, starting your day with a high carb breakfast is probably one of the worst things you can do for your like metabolic health and uh, metabolic flexibility. So the reason for that is, you know, you've just you've just slept for i don't know seven to eight hours and you haven't moved around a lot your glycogen stores are generally like full and uh, you're already in like some mild ketosis so it doesn't really make sense to eat like a bowl of cereal or something like that to kick you out of ketosis and to put you in you know, like a sugar burning mode pretty much for the rest of the day so i always think that it's better to have the carbohydrates like after your workout wherever whenever that is or generally like for dinner or something like that because in the evening having like some glucose spike and insulin spike can be actually very good for increasing serotonin levels and making you sleepier which improves your sleep quality in the morning like you shouldn't need to have carbohydrates to have energy and feel energized like if you have good metabolic flexibility then you're already in some mild ketosis while sleeping waking up in the morning would you know keep you in that metabolic state of burning some more fat and improving your insulin sensitivity uh, but eating like some very high amounts of carbs would just kick you out of ketosis and uh, like neglect some of the other beneficial metabolic processes that happen like your autophagy actually also starts to rise when you wake up in the morning alongside with the ketosis so if you just eat a lot of carbs you're just putting breaks to all these like beneficial like uh, metabolic processes that occur in that semi-fast state and if you do eat like a lower let's say lower carb breakfast then you can maintain it for longer if you don't spike your insulin and blood sugar immediately then you will stay in ketosis and you will also maintain this yeah like the activation of these other longevity pathways for a bit longer so overall carbs for breakfast uh, not not so much unless you like worked out immediately before uh, then it's kind of okay overall i would say that the carbs for dinner are better or for like later after you've worked out and uh, the best breakfast uh, without having worked out is going to be something like you know some ketotic maybe like some protein fiber and a lower carb intake if you want to truly know the state of your health and uh, disease risk then check out inside tracker inside tracker is an at-home biomarker service that you can use to test up to 43 different biomarkers like lipids liver enzymes inflammation sex hormones and much more the process is simple. You order the test kit to your home, use the little finger prick device to give your blood, send it back and you get results to your online dashboard or app. You can get a 25% discount of all their tests if you head over to seamlund.com forward slash inside tracker. That's in one word. And you can use the code seamlund at checkout. That's seamlund.com forward slash inside tracker and the code is seamlund. Next question, just bought beef gelatin. What daily intake would you recommend? So uh, beef gelatin has a very similar amino acid profile than these uh, collagen peptide supplements. Uh, the collagen peptide supplements have like a little bit more glycine and some other amino acids. So they're more optimal for like the collagen synthesis side. But uh, yeah, getting some of uh, gelatin into your diet does increase your like, collagen precursor intake that has a positive effect on your overall daily collagen uh, turnover how much you should aim for i think you know 10 grams a day is still it's like a minimum to aim for and maybe 10 to 20 grams is kind of the safe and recommended range in my opinion is exercise always needed to utilize collagen for joints and skin 
So uh, no, you don't need to like exercise to stimulate collagen synthesis, although exercise does directly stimulate collagen synthesis in the like joints that are being trained. So if you take collagen peptides or you know, gelatin and vitamin C like an hour or two before exercise, then we do see in studies that the collagen synthesis is greater than not doing that. And uh, exercise alone can also improve collagen synthesis, but you obviously also need the collagen precursors. So that's why taking some collagen, you know, whether that be from actual food or the supplements, is going to have the best in terms of in ter the best effect in terms of the final collagen, uh, let's say, uh, outcome. For the skin, you don't need to necessarily exercise to improve collagen synthesis in the skin. For that, you just need to have the adequate amounts of collagen precursors and the other amino acids on a daily basis to uh, support skin turnover and collagen turnover in the skin and uh, yeah you don't need to necessarily exercise for that although like maybe like just directing more blood flow to the skin in some way can maybe improve that outcome but i would say that you don't need to exercise uh, for either of them generally uh, but the joint synthesis of collagen mm, is better if you exercise after, after taking the collagen. Next question, what are your tips against fear of third world war? <laughs> so that's a yeah, interesting question and quite relevant at the moment, obviously. Well, I think from a stoic philosophy side, like you can't really, you know, control many of the outside events. You probably can't control your politicians to the extent of preventing them from going to nuclear war if it ever were to come to that place. <laughs> so you can't really control it. You know, you can control only what is in your control. And those things include, like, just being prepared for it in whatever way you can do. Like, of course, you know, many people, you know, they don't even want to prepare for it. They would much rather, like, <laughs> get get it done, get it over with as fast as possible and just, you know, die without having to deal with it after the fact. I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to give any information or recommendations about that. So I'm going to just yeah maybe talk about how you can deal with the fear itself so you know first of all like i said you can't control it so it's out of your control if it were to ever happen then it's it happened because you didn't you couldn't have done anything about it anyway so there's no like rationale behind being afraid of it and second of all if it were to happen then i mean if you're gonna die then I don't think there's, I think death isn't that scary. Like, uh, you know, I don't think any, none of us remembered what it was like before our birth. So uh, <laughs> we probably won't remember what it's going to be like after we die either. So it's just very irrational to worry about something that uh, we don't you know, know anything about and what we're not going to remember at all. So in that sense, yeah, I think those are <laughs> pretty much the only like practical or like not, not practical but like mental tips i can give in terms of that you can't control it if it's going to happen then um, it's probably going to be relevant in terms of your subjective experience unless you believe in some like afterlife or some something else like that that's probably like a different story and you have to you know uh, try to live according to that of that kind of religious uh, system that you may have whichever it is top five anti-aging or health supplements um, so I probably like made some videos about it. Number one would probably be mm, creatine. I think creatine is very beneficial for all aspects of aging, including muscle mass, strength, uh, power, cognition, methylation. Yeah, it just improves all aspects of aging. Number two would be glycine. So uh, glycine also 
has pretty much almost all aspects of the spectrum covered, like glycine even actually improves muscle maintenance, so it prevents sarcopenia, besides improving glutathione and, and uh, just blood sugar regulation. So yeah, glycine is definitely something that everyone pretty much should take, in my opinion. Number three, I would put um, maybe like, uh, let's say NAC, I think is a good one. It's a very cheap and effective antioxidant that also boosts glutathione and funny enough like combining NAC and glycine has been found to extend lifespan in uh, rodents at least by up to 28% so yeah I think that it's still uh, a good longevity cheap supplement for that. Number four mm, I would say maybe I would put collagen here as well because you know glycine alone isn't enough to uh, like cover all the requirements for collagen and likewise Collagen alone isn't isn't uh, enough either, so you need to get both collagen and uh, glycine, and yeah, just combining them together is the best one, best way to go about it. And number five, this is gonna be a hard, harder one. Um, I would say some sort of like NAD booster, like NAM niacinamide, uh, is definitely up there as well, and like niacin, which. Yeah, it does help with NAD boosting, but it doesn't feed into the salvage pathway of NAD. So niacin alone is also you know, very known and very researched for preventing and protecting against the cardiovascular disease. So, um, you know, either way, like either niacin or niacinamide, both of them will raise NAD. I prefer niacinamide because it doesn't have like the flush and uh, like excess niacin can also cause insulin resistance. So yeah, if you have cardiovascular disease, then probably niacin is very good. Um, or if you have this like um, hypercholesteremia from a genetic side, then niacin is probably like also very powerful for you. Um, what are your thoughts about drinking tea with tea bags made of nanoplastics? <laughs> so yeah, some of the uh, tea bags may be made of these nanoplastics or they contain these uh, xenoestrogens, plastics in them or the material. Uh, so the tea itself is safe. Uh, it's just that, like the herb, uh, but the bags can have like these microplastics. So when, unless it says that it's an like actual like plant-based bag or like a linen, some cotton bag or something like that, natural material, then it, it might have like these uh, nanoplastics in them. So in that case, you just, you know, open the tea bag and put it into like this whatever thing that holds <laughs> the herbs together and soak the water with, with that way. But I think that, yeah, it's probably not the smartest idea to soak your tea with these nanoplastics if you can avoid it. So like, why not try to minimize the exposure if, we, if you can? Is nicotinic acid, vitamin B3, just as, as effective as NMN for NAD boosting? So uh, I think NAD, for NAD boosting, then NMN is probably higher in terms of the effectiveness. Uh, it's just that, um, you know, they, they, they work in different pathways. So the nicotinic acid or niacin or B3, they, they work through the, um, the price handler pathway, whereas NMN goes directly into raising NAD levels and the rest of the NMN or the NAD that you create from that goes into the salvage pathway. And the same applies to niacin. So from the price handler pathway, it goes into the salvage pathway. And you know you want to have the, <laughs> the salvage pathway working properly. And for that, you need niacinamide, including obviously some other minerals like magnesium and the circadian rhythm alignment. So none of the NAD boosters work if your circadian rhythms aren't working properly. Or, I mean, they work in the short term. They raise your energy levels, but to recycle that NAD that you create, you need the circadian rhythm alignment. Taking supplements or drinking coffee on an empty stomach, bad. So it depends on the supplement. Like, um, 
I take most of my supplements on an empty stomach with just water. Uh, some of the supplements can cause like nausea and um, yeah, lethargy and like, yeah, would make you very dizzy. So zinc can do that, quercetin, maybe allicin, uh, berberine definitely, it can make you very hypoglycemic and make you very like tired and uh, give you like a dizziness. So I definitely wouldn't recommend taking those on an empty stomach. Uh, that can be a bit too potent. Uh, but the most of the other ones are pretty safe and you have to still like assess how you react so i personally can take almost anything on an empty stomach some other individuals will be very sensitive to that so uh, we have to kind of assess but it's not inherently not harmful harmful to take these supplements on an empty stomach and with coffee yeah like many people say that you shouldn't drink coffee on an empty stomach especially just black coffee because it's going to harm your stomach lining and cause some other issues with like acid reflux or something like that so generally i do agree like yeah if you are again sensitive to that or if you have already pre-existing like small intestinal or this you know gut permeability or like acid reflux problems then maybe yeah don't drink coffee on an empty stomach but if you don't you know experience any negative side effects then i don't think that is inherently needed to avoid something like that either so again always has to default back to you as an individual and how you react i can drink coffee fine on an empty stomach black coffee and uh, no problems with that uh, but i think that yeah, it's kind of safer to maybe add like a little bit of milk uh, to make it uh, easier on the stomach but overall i don't or there's no evidence that it would have like any negative side effects from an actual clinical outcome um, like yeah some people may get like stomach issues if they do it all the time but from a clinical outcome i haven't seen any evidence that it has like any long-term you know, negative side effects. It may reduce your quality of life for some people <laughs> by making your gut health worse. But uh, yeah, it doesn't have like any actual direct like negative side effects on your health. But to, again, to fix it, just add like a little bit of milk or something like that. Thoughts on Tongat Ali. So uh, yeah, Tongat Ali or Long Jack is like a herb that has been shown to like raise the testosterone level slightly. I think the increase or the you know, it has been shown to increase the testosterone only very slightly. So it's a very small amount. If you have low testosterone levels, then you could maybe benefit from that. If you already have high testosterone levels, then probably not. And um, yeah, I wouldn't think, I don't think it's like a very miracle drug, but it definitely may increase your testosterone levels uh, slightly. Uh, how much red meat in grams do you eat a day? So depend. I don't eat it every day depends on the day um so i mean on some days i if like if i'm in a restaurant uh having dinner then i'll i may have like a steak that's like 250 grams or something like that and usually actually i eat red meat mostly if i am like eating out at home i don't eat that much uh, red meat i eat a lot of fish eggs uh, and uh, like chicken as well for the drumsticks and collagen so at home i rarely eat like beef or pork um, I actually do like wild game as well at home and uh, but that's not like every day that I eat which is red meat yeah but so like at home I might eat you know uh, red meat and usually if I do eat it is like you know 200 grams or something once or twice a week and uh, yeah like on average my let's say weekly intake of red meat is gonna be maybe 300 400 uh, grams and on the other days I eat uh, fish eggs some other plant-based proteins or uh, some chicken drumsticks and things like that. And of course, um, cottage cheese is my big contributor to as well my daily protein intake. 
the table salt I add to the food counts as electrolyte hydration booster. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, technically, yes, like all the sodium and all the like electrolytes you consume, whether they be from your waters or your foods, they do contribute to your daily hydration and um, electrolyte balance. Table salt, of course, isn't the best because it lacks, you know, potassium, it lacks the other minerals, and it also is very high in sodium and chloride that uh, isn't going to be the healthiest in terms of the electrolyte balance. And it's not even going to hydrate you that well. Uh, so you all want to get also the other electrolytes. And um, yeah, just eat a lot more vegetables uh, for the potassium and then maybe adding the regular table salt could keep it in balance. But overall, like some good mineral, mineral water is great. And uh, salt your food to taste. Don't like oversalt it. And uh, if you do salt it, then like uh, sea salt or pink Himalayan rock salt, something like that uh, is much more preferable than um, regular table salt. Any benefit to having higher than one to one protein to body weight intake? So I guess that refers to like more than one gram per pound of body weight in protein. So if you weigh 150 pounds, then eating 150 pounds of pro uh, grams of protein per day is generally considered to be more than enough. So like even 0.8 or 0.7 grams per pound of body weight has been found to be uh, enough to maximize muscle building and muscle hypertrophy in a on a daily basis. So you don't need to eat more than 0.7 or 0.8 grams per pound of body weight for protein. Uh, eating more than that, let's say 1.5 grams per pound of body weight, so eating like 250 grams of protein, um, generally what it does is that it just increases your thermic effect and makes you burn some calories. Um, you can use it to like lose weight, you can lose it to, you can use it to like improve satiety, protein is very satiating, uh, but it doesn't have any extra benefits for muscle growth. What it can do is just, yeah, like make you burn some fat, but you obviously also need to be in a calorie deficit. So if you're in a calorie surplus and you eat extra protein, then that protein Although it is very hard to convert protein into fat, it's still possible to do it if you, you know, eat 300 grams of protein and some of that protein gets converted to glucose and then that glucose gets stored as body fat. Uh, so it's very hard and it's very, you lose a lot of energy doing that. You burn a lot of calories converting protein into glucose and then converting that glucose into body fat, but it's still possible if you eat like obviously, you know, super high amounts of it. What are the benefits of DHEA as supplement? So uh, the testosterone uh, precursor. So many elderly people, uh, they do see like a decrease in their DHEA levels. Some younger individuals may also see that. And what it just helps to do is to raise your testosterone levels slightly and other like sex hormones. So if you don't have low testosterone and you don't have low DHEA, then you're not going to see any extra benefits. But some individuals who have low DHEA levels they might see they might see like some improvements in quality of life, energy levels, and those kind of things. Um, what age is it okay for people to start taking creatine? Eighteen. <laughs> um, so I think the evidence suggests that uh, creatine, even in like teenagers and adolescents, is safe, or there is no like real negative side effect that has been documented. Um, and I do think that yeah, creatine is generally very safe, even for teenagers and under 18 year olds maybe like like 10 years old 10 years old uh, but maybe like 16 is already safe you could like manipulate the dosage you could reduce the dosage by half so maybe taking only one gram of creatine even as a, like a 12 or 14 year old is uh, safe 
but uh, yeah, if you're 18 and you're 16 even, then yeah, like the standard dose of three grams a day. Uh, there's, I don't think there is any like yeah negative side effects uh, to that. What do you think about sauna blankets? Good or no? Yeah, sauna blankets. I mean, they're a good alternative. You don't have an actual sauna, and uh, but it, I think, they might require more effort in terms of setting it up and cleaning it. I haven't owned, I haven't owned a sauna blanket myself, so I don't know exactly how much work goes into maintaining it and cleaning it and stuff like that. But uh, it's definitely like a better alternative than no sauna at all, and uh, alternative if you don't have access to like an actual sauna. Thoughts on effects on aging if taking multivitamins with iron? Yeah, interesting question. So I think last year there was one study that showed that multivitamin use was linked to um, reduced cognitive decline, so better mental like uh, brain health in elderly people. And I do think that you obviously need all the essential vitamins and minerals to age well and age uh, gracefully, as they say. So excess iron is also harmful. And uh, it can contribute to heart disease, atherosclerosis, liver damage, all those things. But I, I don't think that you're getting that much iron from a multivitamin pill. You, may, you might get too much iron if you're taking extra iron supplements or you're eating a lot of uh, muscle meat and not like gelating the iron properly. So I don't think that the multivitamin probably has enough iron to have any negative side effects. Is NAC a carcinogen? Not that I know of. I haven't seen anything to suggest that it's a, an amino acid that can help to raise glutathione levels, which then provide your body with a good antioxidant defense against aging and everything. Marine or bovine collagen supplements, so either is fine. They do suggest that uh, marine is with better absorption than a bovine. Uh, yeah. But um, marine might have like, so the quality of your collagen probably matters more with marine. So if you have some marine collagen that is high in heavy metals, then it's obviously not worth it. So you need to make sure that the one that you are taking is, you know, tested, third party tested and um, is low heavy metals. Does exercise help to drop the weight? Yes, I think it's kind of self-explanatory that uh, yeah, exercise does help to lose weight just because it increases your daily energy expenditure. So uh, from a, let's say, epidemiology perspective, it is clear that people who do exercise more are healthier and uh, live better and uh, have reduced adiposity as well. From a behavioral side, exercise isn't needed to lose weight, but it definitely like helps a lot, in my opinion. Is it okay to take both glycine and collagen? Would you recommend it if one can afford? Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's actually highly recommended to take both because collagen is only 30% glycine and uh, you need a lot more glycine. You need definitely like 10 to 15 grams of glycine a day and you may get like 3 grams if you supplement with collagen. How much glycine a day if you lift heavily 3 to 4 times a week? <laughs> so I would say the same, like 10 to 15, maybe even like 20 grams and depends on your diet as well. If you're eating no chicken drumsticks, no chicken skin, no fish skin, no jello, and no tendons and ligaments, then you may need, yeah, like 15 grams at least, and up to 20 grams. Can eating four to six meals in a day be done in a healthy manner? I do think so. So um, it's definitely, I wouldn't say it's ideal. So some aspects of time or eating is still 
the way to go in my opinion for maintaining optimal circadian rhythm alignment and uh, yeah just let's say metabolic health and i think if you do eat four or six times a day then what you want to do is keep most of those meals low glycemic and maybe like only one single meal would have like some higher amounts of carbs but the vast majority of those should be uh, like fiber and protein and uh, minimal to no carbs to maintain this you know stable blood sugar level and maintain some aspects of ketosis are any of the polyphasic sleep schedules healthy to practice so yeah polyphasic sleep you <laughs> sleep multiple times a day and uh, you sleep shorter so it's like you know you eat sleep six hours a night or five hours a night and then you have like a 20 minute or 30 minute nap during daytime or even like two naps in some cases i personally did this kind of everyday um, sleep schedule which was i slept three hours a night and then i took three 20 minute uh, naps <laughs> during daytime so it's yeah definitely not healthy over the long term i think uh, this kind of sleep restriction will increase your let's say risk of many diseases and raises blood pressure and those things uh, I think the only healthy polyphasic sleep schedule out there is the siesta sleep that is practiced by these Mediterranean countries. So yeah, like you sleep maybe six hours a night as they do, and then you take like a siesta nap in the daytime or in the afternoon after you've eaten. Next question, is lard good for cooking and health? Uh, I think that lard is good for cooking because it's a very heat-stable fat and uh, it doesn't get oxidized that easily. It's generally the only like use for lard that I would uh, use, so like to cook some foods. I think there are some better cooking um, fats, so like maybe ghee is better and maybe like olive oil is actually also very good. Because I mean lard doesn't have like any like micronutrients, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's good for cooking in terms of the stability. But I wouldn't like add it extra to your diet just in hopes of getting some nutrients which aren't there. Like lard doesn't really have, besides the butyrate or like the short chain fatty acids, besides that there's nothing that you wouldn't get from anywhere else. And in my opinion it's just like an extra source of calories, which is fine to cook food with, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't use it as like a salad dressing <laughs> or, or something like that. Um, kombucha, good or bad? Kombucha is, uh, you know, fermented tea and uh, it does have like some of these probiotics in it. I think that it's not the healthiest probiotic and it's definitely not the healthiest fermented food because uh, it's generally also higher in sugar content. And uh, from my own personal like exposure to kombucha, I would say that it also has like some slight alcohol in it, which itself is fine in moderation, but I think that it doesn't actually you know, provide you that with that many probiotics that it would actually be healthy for you. And I don't think it actually has any meaningful effect on your microbiome health either. Like sauerkraut is better, kimchi is a lot better, uh, miso, tempeh, they're all better <laughs> in terms of the microbiome effects than kombucha. And kombucha also has higher amounts of uh, sugar in it generally, which doesn't make it like that healthy. Of course, there are like these sugar-free kombuchas as well and like zero calorie kombuchas in those cases i think it's good but you're probably still not getting any significant and meaningful amount of these probiotics that would have any actual effect on your microbiome next question what is the best natural source of collagen so the natural source is you know let's say beef gelatin so beef gelatin is still this powdered uh, beef stuff <laughs> so like these hooves hides uh, whatever joints bones skins all those things pulverized together that's how you get gelatin powder and uh, i mean it's it's natural and they say that it all is like made of the animal 
uh, but it's not natural in a way that it's created. But it's still one of the healthiest source of like, uh, let's say, getting collagen and uh, gelatin into your diet. From an actual food side, I would say that uh, the best actual food for getting collagen is gonna be like skins. So fish, fish skins, chicken drumsticks that have the tendons and uh, ligaments. Those have the highest source of um, collagen generally. Any truth to creatine supplementation causing hair loss? So this is a big like urban myth, I think, uh, that because uh, there are always like some studies showing that creatine increases DHT levels, dehydrotestosterone that uh, can cause hair loss and um, hair thinning. Is it true? Uh, I don't think it's enough <laughs> to cause like any significant hair loss. Uh, it might in some individuals who are genetically predisposed to experience some hair thinning, but it's very probably small and it only applies to a very limited amount of people. Uh, most people don't probably have to uh, worry about it. And I think the like effects of creatine, if you take it only like in moderate amounts, two to three grams a day, then you're probably not going to see any like real uh, hair loss. Do we need to hit 10,000 steps a day or average steps in a week is fine? So obviously like the average steps per week is more like important than the daily steps. But I wouldn't say that you like you taking 30,000 steps one day and then laying on the couch for the entire rest day is better. I think uh, there needs to be some like balance across all days. Like at minimum, you want to still get like 8,000 steps on all days. And uh, yeah, maybe on some days you get a bit more or something, but on average, 8,000 steps a day on most days. And per, per week, the lowest mortality ease with 12,000 steps per day. So you want to aim for like something like that on average per week. And the last question is going to be, is it true that five hours of sleep causes insulin resistance? So, um, you know, insulin resistance is something that doesn't happen overnight. It takes, you know, decades even for adults to develop it with poor lifestyle. And, uh, you know, it's a degree. It's not like an on and off switch. Some people have more insulin resistance, others less, and uh, it can vary based on the day, what you did, what's your metabolic health, and what's your metabolic status right now, because we're all somewhat insulin resistant with high amounts of cortisol, and we're all somewhat insulin resistant when uh, we're sleeping at night, because melatonin actually makes you insulin resistant. So uh, it's a degree thing. Uh, if you do sleep five hours, then your insulin sensitivity drops a lot. It can drop up to like 30%. And uh, that will have a negative effect on your blood sugar balance the next day. So it is true that, uh, or it's not true that it makes you insulin resistant, the sleep deprivation, but it is true that um, it makes it harder for you to maintain optimal blood sugar levels a lot, up to 30% even. All right, so that's it for the Q&A. If you want to ask a question from me in the future, then follow me on Instagram at Seamlund. Other than that, thanks for watching this video. Make sure you click the like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seam. Stay optimized, stay empowered.